Hello and welcome to Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's World Cup special podcast series. Throughout the World Cup, we're going to be bringing you guests talking about the World Cup, the matches that they've seen. We're going to be chatting to coaches. We're going to be chatting to players at a grassroots level to see how inspired they're feeling about all the World Cup events. It's all going to be right here on Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's special World Cup podcast series. Good morning. At least it's good morning for me. Good morning, Claire. Um, welcome to the pod. Do you want to kind of introduce yourself um, and kind of set the scene on on where you are and what you've been doing? Yeah. So, um, Jess, um, thanks for having me on. Um, so, my name's Claire Cruikshank. I'm actually currently out in New Zealand. I've been out here now for about six and a half weeks. So, I'm on the World Cup internship. Um, so, the program that World Rugby have put on to try and get more females involved in high-performance coaching. So I've been out with Scotland Women for the duration of the tournament. And um, obviously, since they uh, got knocked out, I've been here with World Rugby for the last two and a half weeks on um, sort of a formal part of the pro- programme, so a CPD programme. Awesome. And so what's the what's the coaching internship? For those that don't know, what's how long have you been with the Scotland squad? And then what does your time with them look like so how long are you embedded with the squad kind of on a monthly basis I I guess what does that look like yeah so so world rugby um looked at a number of women that were involved in in high performance teams around the world and they they set up this program to ensure that each team that qualified for the world cup had a, a female coach involved in their their management setup so so I've been involved only since about April um because obviously Scotland with all the uh, ins and outs of COVID, um, it took a little bit longer for that qualification process to, to take place. So I only started with Scotland in, it was about April, April time. Um, other other unions have had people involved uh, from about a year or two years out, obviously, since they became, um, since they got qualified for the tournament. In terms of how, you know, my day-to-day with, with Scotland, um, I was very lucky that, um, during the summer, I worked for for a university, and um, Scotland women went essentially into full time training. So their program was during the day, and my employer was really supportive. So I've been with them pretty much the whole summer in their full time program, and then obviously the last um, well, the four four weeks we were out here at the tournament, and as I say, I'm now still out here with uh, World Rugby, um, looking at the the other part of the internship now nice nice I love that and what what would you say the like the biggest learning has been for you so far uh probably a range of things like looking at the you know the part with being involved in the national program just working with the coaches there looking at uh probably just experiencing it from a different angle so you know learning what it's like to be in that day-to-day in the case of Scotland professional environment, which is something that's what is new to the players and the coaches. So to experience that from the start uh, has been really, really exciting for me. Um, and then in terms of the the full internship, um, the, the the most exciting part or the most interesting part has been the last couple of weeks where we've we've all got together. So there was um four of us after the quarterfinals. Uh, sorry, after the group stages and another four after the quarterfinals. So um, spending time with those women and finding out about different environments um, challenges um, in, in their unions or in, in their environments or their teams, learning about different cultures and just seeing how everybody, whilst we're all, we're all different in terms of what we have to go through because of cultural differences or resources, that the overall the things the things we're all experiencing they're very similar so it's been really eye-opening and just learning from them as well has been so so brilliant for me awesome and has there been like a a favorite moment for you when you've been embedded with the Scotland squad it could be an interaction with a coach or interaction of players there is there a moment that when all this is 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 finished you'll look back on it and and, and smile and you'll remember that particular moment um I think the whole experience uh, the 
the whole experience out here in New Zealand has been has been like it's been phenomenal. Um, the, the way people have responded to the tournament. You know, we were in a, a small little town, and you'd go for a coffee and you'd have your your Scotland kit on because you just come from training or something, and people would stop you in the street, um, and they'd want to talk to you about the game. You know, people you, you had no idea who these people were, but they wanted to take time to, um, congratulate you or or even wish you well for your game game coming up. So, you know, that's been that's been something that you know that'll stay with me forever. Just how welcoming this whole country's been. Um, and in terms of within the squad, probably, you know, just those little moments where a, a player goes, can have a quick chat with you and they want to sit down and have a look at something about a, a part of their game or, you know, a little bit of advice on something. And those little sort of interactions and key moments for me are really important and, and really special to me as well. Awesome. And then I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts broadly on, on ways you think we can increase um, female coaches or, or increase diversity in in coaching. I uh, said on the pod, I think it was a couple of weeks back, that I think um, major leagues should copy this kind of internship programme or look to do one of their own. So Allianz Prem 15s could, I think, quite successfully do a, a coaching internship programme of its own and look to develop regional coaches. Is coaching internships the way to go or, or would you go down a different model what what would be your best way what's what's Claire's way to develop uh diversity in coaching oh good question um look this internship's been brilliant um it's it's opened up avenues for us um it's allowed us to experience things that that maybe we wouldn't have experienced without it or it might have taken a little bit longer so from that perspective it's allowed us to maybe get a a foot in the door or a little bit of a head start. Um, I think there's there's different models, isn't there? So, you know, this model's one. Um, the key thing for this model is to have somebody behind it who is driving it. And, you know, we're really lucky uh, with this programme to have Carolisha with driving it. And she she does a lot of work in the background. Um, the programme we've had for the last, what, two and a half weeks now, it's it's been full on, um, but it's been excellent. So I think, you know, that this type of program, it can't just be organic. It's got to have somebody leading, driving it and making it really worthwhile for the, the coaches, but also the unions. It can't just be, or the or the teams, it was in a, a domestic competition. Um, but I think the more visibility there is out there, um, the more role models, um, the more young females, women can see this as a, a career path. Then, then that's that's positive. So for me, any way we can get, you know, like um, promotion about these programs, promotion that females are coaching, and, and you know the good work that that women are doing, um, let's celebrate it and let let's show it. And I think that's that's one way. Internship, yeah, brilliant as well. But I think the key thing is you've got to have somebody driving it and leading it. Um, but anything to get more females involved in coaching to. Uh, raise the awareness that you know we do know what we're doing and and we are good coaches and you know we we bring different skills and that and that's brilliant and that's all about this diversity and this workforce so yeah let's let's think of as many ways as possible to get people involved yeah brilliant um and then just to sort of just to wrap up just to turn our attention to the the world cup what's obviously this this world cup has been um pretty fantastic semi-finals were uh nail-bitingly close on both games um what's been your thoughts on it so far because I I was chatting to to Lisa de Bird Burgess last week and we mentioned that there'd been more ball in play time I think than than other tournaments what's been your thoughts on the on the gameplay of the whole tournament yeah I think yeah I think that that's spot on um again all the the stats we've had has said said the exact same thing and I think what's been really brilliant and has drawn the crowds in is that all the teams are here to play they want to have a go they're they're they're, they're trying to play exciting rugby they want to they want to entertain the you know it's ball and play offloads be expansive but there's also some great defenses out there as well so it, it's been been super exciting and i think the crowds that have started to come in especially pool stages onwards 
is just reflective of that. And I, I believe the final is a, a sellout at Eden Park this weekend. So, you know, I was lucky enough to be at the semi-finals last weekend. And the atmosphere then, even then, was was unbelievable. It was probably one of the best atmospheres I've been at. So I am absolutely buzzing to see what this weekend could be like with a full Eden Park probably the majority behind New Zealand as well so I think it's going to be it's going to be whatever happens in the result I think one it's going to be a fantastic game of rugby Um, I think both teams are going through everything at it Uh, but I also think that the atmosphere the crowd are going to make is just going to make it special for whoever whoever takes the title. Which brings me on neatly I guess um, to my final question now I don't want to (laughs) don't want to put too much pressure on you or hold you to this, but who do you think will be lifting that trophy at the end of the match on Saturday? Oh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one for a Scott, isn't it? No, look, I think both teams, whoever takes it out, you know, um, I think it's going to be tight. Um, I think if I had to put money on it just now, oh God, I'd be... I'd be changing my bet um, or changing my my tip. I think, look, I think you can't go past, oh, it's so hard, because you can't go past England's record at the moment, that 30-game undefeated, but then New Zealand's record at a World Cup is also equally impressive. So, I'm going to stick, I'm going to go with my heart. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go to New Zealand because I've been immersed in the culture here. So I'm going with my heart at the moment. Nice. Nice. I love that. I love that answer. We won't, we won't hold you to it if it, if the result goes the other <laughs> way, don't worry. Awesome. Thank you so much, Claire. That was, that was ace. Thank you for chatting for me today. Not at all. Thank you. You are listening to a womenrugbycoaching.com podcast. If you want to find out more about the only magazine written for women coaches and anyone coaching women's rugby, then go over to womensrugbycoaching.com. Now, back to the podcast. Hello, Graham. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to kind of introduce yourself and maybe give us a little bit of insight into what you've spent your day doing? Okay. Uh, My name's Graham Smith and I'm currently... Uh, consultant for um, Estonian Rugby Union uh, as uh, director of rugby and also head coach of Caleb Rugby, uh, a team that plays in the Finnish League. Today, I have been doing a little bit of admin. Then I spent uh, an hour and a half in the gym with a player working on their lifting techniques for the training programme we're running at the moment. And then I shot off to a university to do some tag rugby with some students in the security academy here in Tallinn. And that's that's been my day. Awesome. And I, feel, it's, I feel nothing like I've done nothing all day. Very day, very day. <laughs> oh my God. What's sorry, the, uh, no, sorry. Right. What's, what's the rugby landscape like over there? Are you coaching people who are picking it up for the first time? What give us a give us a bit of an insight? Okay, uh, the coaching landscape is barren. Um, the COVID had a huge effect on sport in Estonia, but particularly rugby, because it didn't have a great base to start with, although they were, they were playing international rugby um, before COVID and uh, they, they, they tried to get it going just after COVID. Um, so uh, technically there's four teams in Estonia uh, but there's only one team functioning at 15 a side, and, and that's the team I coach at the moment. And, and we just won the uh, Finnish first division, um, and um, uh, which was pretty good. Um, so uh, just to brag a little bit, that's uh, two teams in one season I've coached that have gone unbeaten and won the league. London Irish so just, women just, and Caleb. Just, so you know, just I thought I'd throw that in there. In case you've brushed over it a little bit, you're in Estonia and you won the Finnish league. Would you like to explain that? Right, yeah, because we're not recognised by World Rugby, we're recognised by Rugby Europe. And we're not recognised by World Rugby because we don't have enough functioning teams. So we're, we're building on that. Um, when I arrived in May, uh, within a week of being here, I was asked if I could travel, first of all, to Serbia with the women's sevens and then to Malta with the men's sevens, which were the first and second weekend of June. Um, 
the women played in their first ever international tournament and became the, the, the 148th international team to play women's rugby. Um, and the, the objective, the goals that we set were basically to get recognised by Rugby Europe as having international teams. So there was no win goal, it, performance goal. It was get seven people in an international shirt on a field. And we achieved that in, in, in both genders. Um, and then when that, uh, when that finished, it was back into the league season um, and um, trying to produce a team. Trying to put it into context, the start of the season with holidays and things like that, we struggled to get 15 local players. Now, fortunately, there's a NATO base in Estonia uh, based about an hour away and um, their players came to train with us and uh, some of them signed up to play. So they paid their 50 euros to finish, finish rugby, uh, to play in the Finnish league. And, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, so you've got these guys from Fiji in the army and they come to play in a way game uh, where you travel an hour to the ferry. You have to be at the ferry an hour before you launch. It's two hours on the ferry to Helsinki. And our first game was against a team called Tampere, which was a two and a half hour drive from Helsinki to Tampere. And then you do the reverse. Uh, so that is the shortest journey to play an away game in our league in Finland. <laughs> Jess is sitting there in absolute shock. But again, it's one of those, this is another one of those stories where, and I and I always had this with, with, the, with Nick Scott, no great Nick's. When you leave your country, you realise how difficult it is to play this game. We're spoiled rotten in this country. And, and you, you, my, our furthest away, furthest away game is maybe forty minutes, and in Wales it's even less than that. And in Scotland, Scotland would have some sort of similarity, but that, that those sort of distances are extraordinary. I mean, they must be. I mean, you're talking like America distances. We're talking about here. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, the, the ferry trip. The, the, the ferry trip's enjoyable. Um, uh, coming back, the lads just the only thing cheap. On, on the ferry is beer. So the lads just get the cheap beer. On the <laughs> it, Finland's incredibly expensive. So the Finns come over on the ferry to go to the supermarkets in Estonia to get cheap booze. Oh, okay. Right. The Estonians go to Latvia to get cheap booze. <laughs> <laughs> the things you learn, Honestly, the things you learn you're a world traveler. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, so um, Jess, if you think you coach grassroots rugby, get your ass on a plane to here because you don't. I'd love it. Honestly, oh, I'd love it. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, I think it's brilliant to be honest. And that that travel ferry stuff, and everyone seems to be country hopping to find the the cheapest alcohol. I think that's a brilliant story. I love well, that. It, you know, it's uh, we we train now indoors on a Tuesday, Thursday night, eight thirty till ten, because football takes everything else, and we train mixed, so we train girls and boys together. Um, otherwise, we couldn't function. So you have to plan your training for both genders. You have to plan your training for somebody who's played thirty caps for Estonia. And somebody who's just picked up a rugby ball six weeks ago. I've got two tennis players from Taltech University in Tallinn, Alice and Masha. Uh, Alice is Estonian, uh, Masha is Russian Estonian. Um, two slight girls, small girls, and they have taken to rugby like ducks to water and, and very, very competitive. And um, you just pick up these gems now and again, and, and you know. Everything says that in, in eight months' time in June, those two girls will get capped for Estonia. And, and it's an amazing story uh, that you can do that. Um, and, um, you know, we've got guys who are playing tag rugby in the university at the moment who are athletes. There's a 400-metre runner, and if he sticks with it, he'll, he'll make a very, very good rugby player. Um, but, you you know, you've got to know how to um, work with people and combine both levels. So somebody who's up here with their ability and somebody who's down there with their ability. And, and uh, uh, that, that challenges 
training. So at the moment, we're doing three blocks of training, skills, conditioning, and then games. I'm using a lot of tag rugby at the moment. And I, honestly, I think it's so undervalued. I, I think tag I is way ahead of touch rugby, way ahead of touch rugby in terms of how you can manipulate the game and, and get the game to look like you want it to be played. Um, particularly in free play. So we, we, we work on our structured play is really, really limited. Lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack of will sometimes. But our free play is brilliant. And particularly when we were training with the Fijians, because you, you can't yeah. you can't saddle those horses. You, you, you've, <laughs> just got to, you've just got to give some guidance. And they're coached, don't get me wrong, they're coachable. But when they oh, want to sure. go, you, you might as well just open the yeah. gate and say, go, fella. It's interesting to listen to you talk, Graham, because it's, you know, it's, it's the thing I've learned, you know, traveling overseas over the last number of years. And, and you're learning it, you know, as, as, as well as anybody, how much, how important it is to have a breadth of knowledge not just a depth of knowledge for example you could be a superstar expert on one facet of the game but the minute you go outside of a, a senior nation you you have to be a jack of all trades you have to understand it and hearing you talk about tag rugby you know it reminds me of that it reminds me that you didn't start off as a superstar world famous coach you started off as a youth development officer teaching tag rugby in schools that's what that's where you started and the depth of knowledge that you started with there you're bringing right back to the start again you're going all the way back and reinvesting it again and rethinking it and reimagining it in another country and all that experience is holding you in good stead you've got to really mark harrington i think was the main force on uh who's, who's now one of world rugby's top top bods mark was a ydl with me back in the 90s, and I think he was on the first written tag rugby program, and he introduced it to us as YDOs, and we were on the first um, rollout of tag rugby in schools. Um, yeah. And I think it was sponsored by a yoghurt company that Fergie worked for. You know what? A true story, this. Jess, you can edit this out. I was driving back from France after, after doing some coaching, I stopped at this stopped at a shop and I bought some yogurt and I went, this is the company that sponsored the tag rugby belt, Yop. It was yeah. Yop Yop. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I started drinking and I went, Isn't this is like going back 30, 25 years. Yeah, that's a true story. But yeah, sorry, go but on. Fergie, Fergie used to drive around with a bloody van load of, of yogurt. That's right. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you think it, it's the journey you've been on obviously since you were a YDO and then going to the Worcester Academy and and, and all the journey you had up to we'll talk about we'll get to England eventually um, <laughs> but all of the things that you've learned along the journey um, I, okay, I, I think, I think... it's made you an exceptional an exceptionally gifted coach I think I mean I'm not, I, I don't want to blow smoke everywhere but you know you, you're pretty damn good at what you do because everywhere you've been you've had success you either create your your opportunity by having the resources like you did to go to America. You paid for yourself to go there and get yourself known, or you you look or you're in a position where um, you have to take the opportunity that's going to feed your family. And that's the position I was in when I went to Spain, and it was the position I was in to come out to Estonia. Um, uh, uh, getting, you see, this is why I get frustrated about a lot of the chat at the moment about professional and amateur rugby. Um, yeah. Because being professional is you get paid to do something. Doesn't mean to say you're good at it. Doesn't mean to say you do it well. You get paid to do it. Having professionalism is doing what you're doing as well as you can, whether you get paid or not. And that's Very what true. we did in 2014. Okay, and that's what a lot of people at that time couldn't get their head around. Oh, England get this resource, England get that resource. Yes, we did. But you also got girls in the gym at 6 a.m. putting the extra yards in. Okay, yeah. so um, you you take an opportunity or you create an opportunity and uh, you've got to make the most of it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate here with, with the way I'm looked after. It, it provides well for the family. Um, but I would be... 
I would be annoyed with myself if I didn't do the job to my the best of my ability because that's just that's just the way I was wired. My dad was wired the same way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's so, um, it is interesting. I mean, I suppose the question I we suppose we should ask is: there are very few coaches in the world who know what an international team camp looks like in the week of a World Cup final. There's very few of them around. And you and Gary and Mids, to be fair, Simon Middleton knows this as well, having been with you guys in 2014. In any in any way that you like, what was it? What was the week before a World Cup final like? Because obviously, I should explain, Graham won in 2014. Everyone should know that, but sometimes we forget that we assume people know. But you're a world champion and you're all right as a coach. What's it, what's the week before like? I think to, to put it into some sort of context, we've got to go back to 2010 because that's where yeah. we made the mistakes. Um, uh, we 2010, people seem to forget about the crowds. And, and, and look, New Zealand crowds are amazing. And I think that, that what, what annoys me is that people have a lack of understanding. You talked about depth and breadth of knowledge. Um, yeah. So... The crowd for England against Canada wasn't great. Okay, fine. People seem to forget in the Men's Rugby World Cup, when you've got Samoa playing Japan, the crowds aren't great. Men's Rugby yeah. World Cups don't fill every stadium all the time. No. You know, no. so it, you, you've got to put it into context. Yeah. Um, but going back to 2010, uh First of all, it was the first ever World Cup with sellout crowds at um, uh, Surrey Sports Park. It was the first ever World Cup where you had ticket tanks selling tickets on the street outside Surrey Sports Park. Wow. The caveat to that was that we could only host, I think it was three and a half to 4,000 people. So it wasn't a huge crowd. But the week of that World Cup, thinking back, I, I think we allowed the World Cup to get in our head and, and we, we we sort of, we treated the week differently. Um, the ride to the stadium from the, from, from the, the accommodation in Surrey, as we approached the 316 into Twickenham, you couldn't cross the road. You know, it was 11 and a half, 12,000 people. They'd got England flags and they'd got Scarlet on their backs and and, and it, 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 it was just incredible. And they were all banging on the bus and screaming at us and all the rest of it. And we allowed that to get in our heads. So moving forward to 2014, if either of you had been around to come into the uh, hotel at that time and seen our meetings, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between week one and World Cup week. It was exactly the same process, exactly the same focus. We had um, a level up from 2010 because we were a 40-minute drive from the hotel to Jean Bouin Stadium. And we had yeah. these four police outriders and we made the journey in about 27 minutes. But everybody on the bus was just calm and collected. And, you know, so if Mids is doing anything, doing anything different this week than he did last week, I'd be incredibly surprised. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, you've yeah, just yeah. got to, it's, it, it, I know it's a cliche, but you've just got to take it as another game. Otherwise, your head gets full of crap and, and, and you, you've got this thought, that thought, and the other thought in there. You've got to analyse your game from the week before. You've got to analyse New Zealand. But, you know, really, you should be focusing more on you than them. Right. It was Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, watching watching from afar and you're just wondering and you just think, what's going on? What are they thinking? And you get the books that come out afterwards, especially with the, the 2003 win for the men. They were discussing about, they felt like prisoners in the hotel and, you know, they felt they were under siege and, and I, I hope that's not the case because this is this is the, one of the greatest moments of their lives. And they, I, I look, 
I know we have we, we've had a discussion before about should it be enjoyable, you know, and it's it probably is it in, I, maybe it isn't enjoyable, but it should be satisfying. It should bring a huge amount of satisfying satisfaction. Sorry, coming up. I don't think I don't think you enjoy it until after the fact. Yeah, um, and and you win. Uh, you're not going to enjoy losing, um, but you've got to treat it. So whatever you whatever you did last week, you do the same this week. You know, if you're going for a coffee every day at eleven, go for your coffee every day at eleven. You know, if you're going to bed at midnight because that suits you, don't challenge and think, "Oh, I'll get an extra couple of hours sleep and go to bed at ten. Go to bed at midnight again. It, it, you've got to do what suits your body, and you've got to do what suits you mentally. You know, yeah. It, 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 don't change anything because otherwise. The, the only things you change are the things that you 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 sort of can't control, like injuries, illness, things like that. Everything yeah. else, you've just got to treat as if it's that next game, and you've got to win that next game. Right. So, um, I'm, I feel like I'm talking here. Sorry, Jess. <laughs> but the question I would ask then is, let's let's look more specifically at the at the semi-finals that were on this weekend, and. Although I got one of the calls right, I said, I think France would go, I thought France would go 4-3 on the bench and they didn't. They went to take on New Zealand's forwards. But I did suggest Canada would go 6-7-1 and one on the bench. And that was right, because I felt that England's forwards were the, were the ones that were going to cause them the most problem. Although, the, although it came across as, well, it's the expected final. This, I thought both of those games were extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary games of rugby. Uh, probably the best World Cup games since the 1999 semi-finals, which were, again, just extraordinary. What were your thoughts on the semi-finals? Probably start with, you know, start with the Canada-England game and, and see what, you see what are your thoughts on that? I think what it shows you is that the the, the, the difference... The difference in being professional and, and not being professional is the time together. Rest is huge. But the time together where you can trust what people are doing and you can really develop your skills. Um, England didn't win because they were better than Canada. So I don't think they were. England won because they took their opportunities and Canada missed at least three opportunities in the second half. And if Canada had been a professional team, they may not have missed those opportunities. So you, for me, <clears throat> uh, somebody said, oh, um, you've got to win ugly. And I, I said, hold on, you, you, that wasn't ugly. I, I thought it was a great game. I thought all, all the, 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 the passion and the bits and pieces that go along with it, I thought it was a great game. And so was the France-New Zealand game. Um, and, and England scored an amazing try. Um, probably the only team that could score that try apart from England is New Zealand. You have to assess people, right? And I'll start with my bias because she's still the best number eight in the world and that's Sarah Hunter. But the reason she is, is Mids himself said he's never seen her train badly and he's never seen her play badly. If I can put that into an analysis context, Sunter is one of a very low number of players that I have seen that is a 90-90 player. Yeah. A 90-90 player is a player who, when you do your analysis on their five uh, areas of play, is 90% accurate 90% of the time. So when was the last time you saw Sarah Hunter miss a tackle or drop a ball? Yeah. When was the last time you saw Sarah Hunter make a poor error at a breakdown? And crucially, and she said it herself to me last week, it was, it was quite fortuitous. I shared the videos of the harness work and she scored that first try from the base of the scrum. Yeah. Because male or female... I'm not sure which other player in the world would have scored that try under those conditions. I can tell you this, and the men can come and have a go at me, and I couldn't give a flying fig. 
Billy Run and Palmer <laughs> wouldn't score that try. That's the thing, is it? Do, 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 do teams practice that? Do they practice that anymore? I don't know. They always the ball, don't I, they? I can't they comment practice. on what players practice and yeah. don't practice, but uh, I would still be driving around the country, getting the number eights in a harness and making them do their footwork at the base of a scrum because right. I think that's Sarah's first opportunity to score a pushover try this tournament. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be close. And she's taken the opportunity. Graham, just great insight, you know, and always a pleasure to talk to you. But I'm just curious, you know, you've been to, you've been to Spain, you've coached in France, and you were the you were the guy ahead of me last year when you went. Coached at London Irish, had great success at London Irish, having great success in Estonia. Um, my question is: Is there any country or countries in the world where you quite like it, like a go? Because I. There are just judging by your by your wanderlust. I, I have a sneaking suspicion there are other countries you'd like to explore. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, um, I, I, I'd certainly be happy to go back to Spain. Um, I think Italy as a rugby country would be a very interesting place to coach. Um, I think, I think New Zealand would be a great place to coach. However, they're not that great on taking foreign coaches in um, and, and at the end of the day I'm a professional coach and I've got to earn a living the greatest untapped resource over the last 30 years has been the USA women they have I agree, I agree. a huge huge resource of talented athletes of size and athleticism for all positions and yet they regularly underperform, you know, and I, I don't want to be critical of, of, of whoever's coached them in the past because I know Pete Steinberg very, very well. Um, Luke um, uh, Luke Gross was the forwards coach when I was um, uh, I was coaching, and I know him very well. I knew him when he was playing in the UK. But there needs to be a complete overhaul, I think, in the USA because continuing to do what you're doing is not working. And it comes back yeah. to the old adage of, you know, the definition of, in, definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Um, so the USA, definitely. Canada, I, I, I love Canada. I, I've toured it many times. But Canada, I think Canada, Canada have got the coaching resources. What Canada yeah. need is money. Um, just, there's so many questions I'd love to ask you, but I'm not going to because we're, we're a short podcast. But... Mate, thank you very much. I know that, that you're a busy, busy man. You've just come in from training and, and you've jumped on the podcast. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you very much. Um, Jess, anything to say? Um, no, uh, just thank you, really. And I think you're, what you're doing over in Estonia with the, the blending of the training sessions, the blending of the capabilities, the abilities, that is completely fascinating to me. That... So I, I have loved that part of the podcast. So thank you, because that bit, um, I find that how how coaches, when you get a session where it, it's, you know, you get a completely mixed and dynamic um, playing abilities I've, and how coaches manage to kind of tread that tightrope, I find, I always find that really interesting. So that, that's been the bit I've loved the most. So thank you for that. You always have to be prepared to throw the piece of paper in your pocket away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you do, yeah. 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 yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Graham. Graham, thanks very much for your time, pal. I really appreciate it. My God pleasure. bless you. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, thanks, Eamon. Thanks. thanks. Bye. Wow. Uh, Eamon, I don't know about you, but I I actually made a page full of notes uh, as well as trying to interview Graham on the pod. I've I've made a lot of notes about that. That was, that was ace, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm... I, I'm pretty privileged in my life to know a number of really good coaches and thank you thank Graham, you I, I, likewise mate likewise <laughs> and i was going to say you're preeminent among them but um <laughs> graham is i mean this is our second experience on a podcast with graham yeah and it Gary. is and it, every time i sit down with graham and i've had the privilege over the years to sit down with him and just talk to him online you never leave you never leave with an empty with an empty notepad 
No. It's extraordinary things he knows, the people that he knows, the experiences, just the depth and the and I and I keep going on about this because it's it's something I'm very careful about. It's not only the depth of knowledge that he has, it's the breadth of experience that goes with it. Yes. Sometimes we, people get hired in professional rugby because they are the scrum coach, the line-out guy, the attack guy. But, and and, and fair enough, it's a specialist art form and, and, and good on them. If they get a job for it, good on them. Yeah. But if you had someone like Graham in a premiership team, he could fill seven roles. You just think, why, why, why would you go for like a guy who's a specialist in one thing when you got it? You can have another guy who's who's specialist in seven or eight. You know, and it's it's something that we need to look at. And it's the old um, in the world of the specialists are the generalists the future. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if you're paying a huge amount of money on the salary cap, and this, I don't think the salary cap includes coaches. No, I don't so you can that. have a. So you have a number of coaches, but imagine if you had somebody like, not just not just people. I mean, I mean, I'm talking like Ian McGeeken, Kevin Bowring. You pull these guys in, superstars of the game. Here's the thing: they wouldn't want to come into the Premiership, to be honest. They've had enough of that nonsense. But can you imagine having Kevin Bowring sitting in the room every single day when you're coaching and just go, "Hey, Kev, what, what do you think of this?" And just not- having those, in, and Ian is one of those people. He just pulls yeah. you in, and you just just so so informative. And it's not it's not just scrums, lineouts, attack, defense coaches we need to look at. I I you know, how about we get rid of those types of labels and we have a head of player relationships, head of culture, you know, like you know, you're you're in charge of like cultivating the the team love, you know, or you're in charge of today. You are the coach's critical friend. Every time you say something, it must flip somebody's point of view, or it must just be, you know, a devil's advocate, and you must throw something in there to to spin the room and to mix it up and to challenge the coaches. That's you two, know, two yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. Two years ago, I remember I was I was I was. During the, during the pandemic and somebody came on and said do you want to listen to this webinar and it was we're going to talk to a to a guy who works for a company and his job his job title is the head of happiness remember that yes he was yeah, the head of yeah. yeah and i went are you, kidding me? are you absolutely kidding me and i went what is this nonsense and the guy said well my job is to make the place more efficient and work better and i went yeah and that's what you should be doing as a manager but i do it by by really getting to know each person yeah and helping them with their day yeah and it could be something as simple as um letting them go five minutes early or yeah. getting them a book token when they're down and stuff like that. and I, what a job that is yeah and so and that company realized that that here's the goal now in professional rugby it's it's a doggy dog world it's cutthroat and everything else and i understand that i do and 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 you, you, i mean wasps have collapsed but if it's if it's a dog eat dog world and if it's so cutthroat and if we're looking yeah. at ways where small margins make a difference, love could be the missing margin in your team, right? It, love could it, be I the think, missing think, margin. Happiness could be the missing yeah, yeah, margin. No, no. I think we also have to clarify that we're not talking about love in one singular aspect. We're no. talking about an overall general yeah. view of the game. Yeah. Just a little bit. Sometimes it's it, it, love can include respect. Yes. Love can include you know, building, helping to build resilience and stuff like that. And, it, and it, it, it's one of the things Saracens did very, very well before they were got, got their hand caught in the till a little bit. It was it was about, they used to build the team culture, but they used to look after the wives yeah. and the kids and families and, and look how successful they were. Yeah, for me, for me, I, I feel the love when I walk away from uh, <laughs> my women's training session at Huddersfield and my soul very hard to we're getting you know very philosophical but in here in my sternum in my belly there's a warm glow and i feel yeah. nourished i mean i've got an empty stomach because yeah. i haven't eaten for five hours because i've been on the field coaching but i feel uh-huh. nourished and if that in the top of the game is the difference is a small margin then the team that feels more nourished will play better than the team that isn't nourished at all yeah. I, there's a reason why Graham has a great deal of respect from the players he's coached. You know, he's a gruff, straight sailor like a individual. But that's not you're doing Graham a disservice if you think that's all he is. 
Yeah. I mean, he's shown me extreme kindness over the years. I mean, just give me the time, any time I need, he's always been there for me. Look, and, it, and that's what I'm... He did, he, that, and it, and he did that for me. So I, I went to see a scrum session that he ran that um, was at West Park Leeds. Leeds Tykes organised it because Leeds Tykes and West Park Leeds are, are doing that sort of ground share, facility share type thing. Um, and I went to see a, a, the scrum session of him up there. Dad drove me. Shout out to my taxi driver, Dad. Fell asleep in the car <laughs> waiting for me while I was chatting scrums. Um, Hello, David. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, and at the end of the practical, and I didn't know any of the coaches there really, because it was mostly kind of the Leeds centric coaches. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I was just there to just watch watch scrums and, and enjoy it and pick up bits that I now use in my sessions. Um, but at the end of the outdoor session, as we're going into the indoor session, he kind of rushed up to see me because everyone's wanting to talk to him. He rushed up to see me to ask me my thoughts of his session. And I just felt instantly included, you know, and, and and that's what we do if we see a player lost at training session, we ask, oh, what did you think of the session? What did you think? Of that's immediately what he did to me. And I immediately felt the the love through mutual respect that we had for each other in that conversation. And that that's brilliant. And that's just the power of, of relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's brilliant at that. And him and Gary, but Gary as well. But him, I, I, I don't know Gary as well, but I, I, I do know you know, our experiences and I had previous experiences with Gary and that, that was the team they built. That was the, that was the, the team they built in and they learned from 2010 to 2014. Mids has learned it from 2019 to now, you know, he, he had, he's, he's gone the same career, same pathway as yeah. Graham and Gary. He's and lost again, the panel. Hopefully he'll win it, you know. Somebody again, who knows the power of relationships. So I got invited to, to Penny Hill Park to observe a day's training session um mids invited me up um i was really obviously giddy and nervous because you walk in i've never been to penny hill park before um mids saw me walk up i actually think he saw me walk into a bush as i was walking down the footpath so that was a great start (laughs) um but then when when i got when i walked through the gate um because for people that don't know me i'm quite clumsy so i walked into the bush i wasn't paying attention um too excited to be where i was but um I was quite I was going through the process in my head I was like oh what do I do because people don't know me what if I encounter somebody who goes who are you what are you doing here and I was running through the conversation in my head um I didn't have to worry about that at all because mid saw me walking through the gate walked out the glass door gave me a big handshake and sort of a pat on the shoulder and immediately I was relaxed he walked me up into the training session into the indoor area and he spent he was setting up the session but he kept coming and chatting and checking on me until things were in full flow. And then obviously he has to do his job, but he, he gave me the session plan to look at, to to run through what the thought processes were. I could ask questions Did I have any of this when it was time to go outside. He was like, Jess, it's time to go outside. All of that. And it it was environment completely. Like I was really out of my comfort zone and, and in awe and just wanting to learn and take as much of it in but he made me yeah. feel at home and and comfortable. And and because of that, I got much more out of the day than I would have done had he have not made that effort to extend the hand and give five, 10 minutes of his time and what was, a, you know, it's a World Cup training camp. It's an extremely important it's, day. It's, it's one of those, <clears throat> it's where I think the game has gone backwards with regards to this sort of coaching community. I think... Those type of unmediated learning experiences, those uh, casual collisions have stopped happening. Yeah. Can you imagine how good women's rugby would be and men's rugby would be lower down the ladder if you were grabbed on a more formal basis and someone reached out and went, right, Eamon, your job, 20 years ago, not now, 20 years ago, somebody would have gone, I tell you what, Eamon, do you want to come to an England training session? Yeah. And somebody, it was a formal process of me doing that. Now, when England ran, when the when the London Sevens were at their height, and there was thousands upon thousands of people, they used to have a Sevens conference every year. And every year, we would be invited to go to Sevens conference, and the head coaches of the Sevens teams would come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. And we sit in the stadiums, and we do feedback, and, and the coaches would always ask for our feedback. They didn't have to, but we, we, did, we gave it to them, because we were all quite experienced coaches. Mm-hmm. Those unmediated learning experiences, 
that you get from the Simons, the Grahams, the Garys. I wish that the coach development pathway wasn't, um, as I call it, the grass ceiling, which is the blockage of between elite and amateur rugby. Because if that if that was removed and there was a pathway, um, you, yes, you wouldn't have the expertise as someone who's played in the front row for 15 years in the premiership. And I get that. But if if I was a an officer in the British military in a war zone and I was leaving at 34 and they were looking for leaders and I had a level three rugby qualification, do you not think I could bring something to that? Yeah. And these are the opportunities that I think the professional game in this country is missing. Yeah. They are creating, they're pulling away from the grassroots. Yes. And, you know, and, and here's the truth, as we have seen over the last, very, very sadly over the last number of months, the professional game could fold, but the grassroots game would still be, keep going. Yeah. The, the, the reverse isn't true. Yeah. And for me, it comes back, it always comes back to diversifying the room. So for the same argument that we want a diversity of ideas, we want different people. So female coaches, um, black, Asian minority coaches, different people in the room. We want different people from a grassroots environment, we want people from a premiership environment in. All of those different people in a room would diversify ideas and, and bring new ideas. If we were, if you and I were creating a, a premiership and Prem's 15 rugby club, men's and women's, we would want in our coaching staff, in our backroom staff, in our in our yeah. room, we would want diverse people from a range of backgrounds bringing different ideas because that is the key to success. Because if we're all just sitting in an echo chamber, we, we might be successful for one season, but we're not going to generate long-term success. We're just not. We have to talk about the finals. Um, but before we do, this is obviously our last um, official podcast recording of the World Cup podcast series. Um, the last one. Um, I've got a load of spin-off ideas. Some will turn into future podcasts. Some will turn into articles for the magazine because there's been a load of stuff that I, I've made pages and, and notes after notes. If you see me, you've seen me scribbling on each kind of yeah. podcast recording we've done. Um, yeah. So there's been a load of impactful moments for me. A um, couple of them, obviously Graham talking about the the dynamism that is expected or that he has to do when he's coaching in Estonia because yeah. of the broad range of people that he gets. Again, it makes me think about my environment at Huddersfield. I can have a neurodiverse, neurotypical uh, people in their 60s, people who are 18 to 20, people who are returning from pregnancy, uh, people who are brand new to the sport, people who return to the sport 10 years out and all of that. And then we all have to step into a game area and we all have to, and they all have to learn and get something out of the session. So so I really that really resonated with me. Another one was just hearing about the travel times in America. That was a kind of a, uh, a mind blowing <laughs> moment for me, where my jaw just did just literally just drop on the floor. Um, but if you, can, if you can pick one moment where you there's a moment where you're like, yeah, I, that was that clicked for me. That was impactful, or that was a light bulb moment. Is there is there been a moment for you where you're like, I want to pull that thread a little further and find it out, or that's the bit I'll remember. A week later, it was, and so, so for me, it was um, the week I wasn't here. It was the week you interviewed Lisa Burgess. Yes, and and um, your rugby buddy who came on afterwards, outrageous, absolutely outrageous thing. Um, but Lisa, hearing Lisa talk so passionately about about Wales and yeah. just what it meant to her to be a Welsh coach, and then just serendipitously, I was watching the feature on the first Women's Rugby World Cup that was on ITV. Yeah. Um, it was it was shown after the England-Canada game. And she was there. She was talking. And I went, she's just been on the podcast. You know, the, the people that we've been able to get to come on the podcast and talk to us, to have the RFU own song Hero of the Year to come on <laughs> just before she won the award. Brilliant. Was incredible. I mean, talk about serendipity. Um, but it was least Lisa probably the week I wasn't on. Um, yeah. Again, I knew about America, but my my favourite moment was watching your face when she was talking about the travel. <laughs> your face was unbelievable. <laughs> it's like what? How far? Um, but yeah, it was it was. If I could pick the one moment, it was Lisa. 
Yeah. I just I just wanted to be such an impressive person and the way she spoke passionately about being a Welsh coach yeah. and how much she loved it. Alice, and, Alice in the first episode. I love Alice. The first episode? Yeah, Chaotic, right, the first one. Yeah. We predicted it. We both predicted it would be it'd be in the, <laughs> the final. Um, it was funny. She said, she said her best moment of the World Cup so far, which was like just after she, you interviewed her, was Sarah Hunter knew who I was. Yeah. And she she posted it on Twitter. Sarah Hunter knows me. I went, well, yeah, yeah you're Alice So. Of course she does. Yeah. You know? And, but the thing, the people that we, I mean, we could just, we could call on all our contacts and we tried, I guess we tried to put people on the podcast that mainly from the grassroots or had a link to grassroots. Yeah. Because that's the it's the largest part of our part of our game, yeah. And to have to have a magazine about women coaches is it's it's a great way of starting a podcast. And let's just talk to women, influential women. Let's talk to people who have a knowledge about the game but are willing to share it. It is finals week, so we do have to talk about the final. I am. <laughs> How do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel? Um, look, I sometimes go on the Rolling Mall um, pod, which is uh, basically the unofficial, uh, but, you know, slightly official uh, Tigers. Um, are, you, are, you, are you a Tigers fan? Yeah. We haven't mentioned quiet. it this episode. We haven't mentioned it. Uh, and and I've also been on BBC Radio Leicester. Uh, oddly, the only time oh, they get me on on those podcasts is when it's it's when it's Derby Day, which is when Leicester Tigers play Northampton Saints. Leicester Tigers men's play Northampton Saints. Goes without saying that we will at some point get a women's derby because Loughborough Lightning have partnered with Saints, so there at some point will be a women's derby, and I'm very very excited for that. But for anybody who knows me, it's currently in my mind and in my body, in the nerves and butterflies, it feels like Derby Day. It feels like Derby Weekday for me. It feels yeah. like Saturday feels the same as Tiger Saints. And I'm full of excitable and nervous energy. But I'm also really sad that this World Cup is coming to a close because it's been extraordinary. I've seen, obviously, I wasn't fortunate enough to go over, but there's been people on social media that have made me feel like I've been there and I've seen a community connecting in person in New Zealand, but also online. And I feel like we've really strengthened the bonds of the community in, in women's rugby. But I just have to ask you one question, really. Um, who is going to win? Because I'm biased. Uh, look, I'm also biased because I've been, I've been in the camp as well. And I've met some of the players um, and obviously I know mids, so we, you know, we know what my answer is. Who do you so think I think the great thing about the tournament has been is that although there has been very few shocks, there have been very few dull games. They've all been very interesting in one way. They all had something interesting to say about the world game. Although we've gotten to the final that we all expected, I don't think it was... Uh, I said it. I said in episode one that if England didn't win this World Cup, it would be the biggest shock in world rugby history, male or female. I said that in week one, right from the start. Although I'm a little less confident now in saying that, I still believe England will probably win it. I think that France and Canada have probably scared the life out of them enough yeah. that the players will go well any complacencies they may have had has now gone absolutely gone yeah and i think you know that graham's graham and i have had conversations about this i've spoken to lots of other highly influential and not influential highly qualified coaches we all think england will win it what we wouldn't be surprised if new zealand did not because not because of any sort of anti-English bias. I just think that England will have to keep a tight rein on this. Yeah. Um, in the finals are rarely exciting, but the, the that's the joy of a final is that it's tense. It's real it's, it's tense. It's a different. It's, it's a different type of match, isn't it? It's a different. Oh, it's you know, played it's differently. It it feels it feels different. Hard to quantify yeah. that. It just feels. Yeah, it feels. And it's, there's, 
win or lose, there's no second chance. It's gone. No. Um, you're done. This is it. It's done. And the good. So for me, I I think England probably have enough in the forwards to win it. But yeah. if they don't tighten up with the backs, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I got quite teary in a in a good way thinking about how short a time it was to the next one, and and we're hosting. Um, and I think New Zealand have done. Yes. Are there things that they could have improved upon? Absolutely, 100%. But following COVID cancellations to generate hype, the issues that have gone on in the Black Ferns off pitch, I think this has been a cracking tournament. Um, yeah. There has been some fantastic games. The semifinals were particularly fantastic. There has been an extraordinary amount of love and team spirit shown between all teams. I'm thinking of when South Africa were on the pitch and, and England stayed on the pitch and they had those those moments together, those celebratory moments. Extraordinary images. Um, people connecting with other people. Um, people getting up at stupid o'clock in the Northern Hemisphere to watch the games. It's been glorious. Um and we've loved it. So we might do another one in three years' time. We might do another series. Um, well, no. unless, you're, unless you're too big time to talk to me. <laughs> so, so for now... We'll be running the Tigers, we'll be running the Tigers podcast by then. <laughs> running it. For now, um, this is us signing off. Um, and tune in in three years' time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well done, Jess. It's been a privilege. Thank you very yeah. much for inviting ah, me. Thank you. Thank you.